Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. January 3rd, 2021, Brad Crisco said, these have been some of the best days of my life so far. This year is going great. Brad, what do you have to say for yourself? Uh, I just really wished I would have known that January 3rd was the peak and that everything was going downhill for the next 362 days. For anyone who experiences <laughs> the most minor of inconveniences to major, you know, world-changing historical events um, in any kind of negative fashion, you can blame Brad Crisco at Brad Crisco on Twitter. His address is... <laughs> yeah, uh, to anybody who blames me directly, you can come live with me for three and a half days. I will provide free maple syrup as yeah. a penance. So, uh, <laughs> obviously, we're not going to get into it. <laughs> we've all done enough doom scrolling over the past 24 hours um i had my holy shit moment like five minutes ago right before we started recording because obviously yeah. before we start recording like we we're friends so we shoot the shit like friends would so obviously we're talking about what's going on in the world and then we get into show prep and ryan's like Oh, yeah, we got to throw in uh, the USB Canada for gold. And I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot about that. It was less than 48 hours ago as of recording this. It yeah. was less than two full days ago, and it was completely off my radar. <laughs> Remember when the biggest uh, controversy coming out of the States was uh, the picture of Team Canada's logo taped to a trash can or a barrel? Those were simpler times. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into that because uh, I have a surprising opinion on that give, as a Canadian. I mean, I, I I would actually hazard a guess and say all of us coming on the same side of this, but we'll wait on that. Yeah. We'll wait. Uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Somehow perpetually astonished every day in this world. I'm Ryan Hanna. I am Discover TM Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Evan, Evan doesn't do free ads. No. Never. For those who watch on YouTube and uh, pay attention when we mess around with our screen names, uh, this should be a fun one for you. Evan refused to bow down to corporate overlords, so good for you, Evan. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Until one day we sell a sponsorship slot that's literally, you get to pick what Evan's name is and only Evan's <laughs> name. <laughs> sure. Why not? And when we're back in person, actually, we're going to sell ad spots like on Evan's shirt, but just his right shoulder. Because he sits on that side of the screen. <laughs> hey, you know, we, revenue streams are down everywhere. We have so, to do what we can for this season. Have, yeah. yeah. We'll have Hank, Brad's baby, not the former Red Wings player, uh, crawling around. Although hey, that kid's already a year old, so he's probably I I was gonna say, he's sprinting at this not point. He's not a baby anymore, Ryan. Yeah. What's his 100-meter dash time now? Like, like just under 12 seconds? Oh, no. He's, he's pitching up like a 10-9 now. <laughs> that's good enough for provincials <laughs> and because he's only one years old he can actually run his 10-9 pace for a 1500 <laughs> <laughs> wow that's a nightmare i won't be a father for a long time thank you <laughs> uh on this episode of the winged wheel podcast we are going to be talking about the world juniors uh the red wings camp uh our central division preview today and then we're going to be talking about the geopolitical no i'm kidding um well when you said we're gonna be talking about the world you had a slight pause and i was like no 
I can already tell when we're about to have hysterical episodes, like literally in hysterics. (laughs) (laughs) And after each one, I'm like, that was fun. But how often is that going to happen where things are just like so, (laughs) I don't know. If you don't laugh, you cry. Yeah. (laughs) That's. I'm out of tears. I did not sleep enough to generate tears last night, so this is what we get. Um, okay, the World Juniors. What what a game between Canada and the States. Okay, and and we're gonna put this out there because I know a lot a lot of you listeners know. Actually, a lot of you might not be aware of this because I know we have newer listeners and sometimes they don't pick up. Um, all three of us are Canadian, and uh, you know Canadian Red Wings fans. There's actually a lot of us. Um, and yes, you win. Congratulations. And for every Canadian fan who went in and said, oh, Canada's going to curb stomp the States, blah, blah, blah. This is going to be a blowout. You got to eat crow. I I don't understand how you would go into that game thinking it was a guarantee, especially because Canada was 0-3 in the previous three gold medal games against the States. But, man, the States came to play. I mean, this is going to be the shining example of teams will have inflated stats and records because of a weak schedule. It happens from time to time. It's very rarely a good and legitimate excuse for analyzing a hockey team and getting it wrong. But in this case, I think it is because on paper, the U.S. had a, I'll say a stronger but more top heavy lineup than Canada. And it showed in that final game. Dylan Cousins and Bowen Byron were great. I don't, again, going back to the draft year, I don't consider Dylan Cousins to be an elite talent he'll be a very very good player but a lot of that's from work ethic and hustle he's going to fit more of the dylan larkin mold but uh trevor zegris is going to be a superstar and he played like a superstar and i know i already tweeted this joke out but i'm going to repeat it here for those who didn't see it and spencer knight is going to make whatever team florida trades him to very happy the fact that florida has that bobrovsky contract in the way is atrocious it's it's amazing to think how unbelievable devin levi was in this tournament and he was very good in the gold medal game he wasn't even the best panthers prospect goalie on that ice and they're stuck behind that monstrosity of a deal that sergey bobrovsky spencer knight like I'm aware goalies take time. Goalies are voodoo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We all know the mysteries that come with goalie development. I have a hard time believing Spencer Knight's more than two years away at this point, and Bobrovsky's got six years left. That's going to be a problem. Even if he's four years away, Bobrovsky's still going to have two years at 10 mil per year left. And he'll be in his late 30s. That contract will not be movable without heavy sweeteners. So Florida has themselves in a real bad situation. The only way this contract works out for Florida is if Bobrovsky gets really hot for a couple seasons and they actually somehow get a cup out of it. Other than that, woof. Yeah, that's going to take work to get out of, and I'm not sure that they get out of it. Like you said, like... (laughs) There's already rumors of Spencer Knight doing his four years and then leaving. If you need a case study and pulling up a star goalie who you know you who you know has a talent sooner, a lot of people said Carter Hart came up too soon, and I wouldn't exactly use him as a, a you know precedent or a case to use for every goalie. But 
it's been established now that in this NHL, you can do it when they have enough talent, or at least you might as well try, unless you have the Bobrovsky contract in the way. So yeah, Flor- I don't envy whoever's job it is to clean up the mess in Florida, and I'm not sure that they can do it. I'm not sure that this ends clean for them. Is that Bill Zito? Is he the new guy in town there? I think it's Bill Zito. Yeah, from Columbus, the yeah. Kekalina and assistant. Yeah, that's what it Good is. Good luck, buddy. Um, that that game, okay, Canada, I don't think, played a terrible game. I think they had an awful first 25 to 30 minutes. Oh, I'll argue, I'll argue that. Um, they, they picked it up after. I still don't think they were particularly good. They were playing catch-up, and they were kind of playing desperate. Um, the first 25 to 30 minutes, it was like the States came out and used their top talent, which like you've alluded to, Brad, their top talent is probably better than Canada's top talent in terms of who's at on their top line. Um, that, like Zegers, Turcott, like they're unreal. And they just went balls to the wall against Canada and Canada very clearly. It was just like jumping to a, a pool of ice water. Like they could not handle it. They were in shock. Um, they didn't know how to react and they they made mistakes and turned the puck over and, you know, let them have sustained pressure and the states capitalized. The states needed to play a near perfect game and any deficiencies they had, Spencer Knight had to be perfect to make up for it. And that's exactly what happened. So I'm glad you said they had to play a near perfect game because this to me was the difference. Obviously, we can say Spencer Knight was the difference. I'm not even going to say that because Devin Levi was also very, very good. Um, you give up two goals against a team like that, you should expect to win that game. And especially considering like it was Zegers who scored it, but that second goal was was fluky. How often do you see the puck hit the back of the net, hit the bar in the middle of the net and come back? Levi had no chance on that. Canada and the US played both played amazing defensively. They play very conservative styles, which leads to boring hockey. And it wasn't the best game in the world in terms of chances but it was effective and it was fast at least the u.s's only goal was off a shift where they were able to control the puck in the offensive zone for almost a full minute and that was zegris kaliev turcott their top players before turcott ended up scoring the goal and the difference between the ultimate difference in this game was the u.s had a line that was able to use their talent to break down Canada once. That's all they needed. They broke down Canada once and had a monster offensive zone shift. Canada never had a shift like that against the States. Canada didn't have a a, a line, a, a, even a player, whose skill was able to overcome such a good defensive system. Canada, you know, Tournier is a good coach, but they were playing way too much chip and chase, which is another thing. But... I mean, Dylan Cousins is good at a lot of things, but he's not a guy who can turn a defenseman inside out and maintain possession for an hour and a half like a Zegers can. Um, So that's what it came down to. Because again, defensively, I have zero complaints from the way either team played. It was was textbook from both of them. Um, The difference is the U.S. was able to break down Canada twice, once more than the other, and Canada couldn't do it they like spencer knight had to make some really good saves but i wouldn't say he was overly tested canada had their chances but so did the states chances were felt pretty even without looking up the box score right now but this is what we talk about when we say when i'm going to relate this to the red wings very quickly because this is another thing we've preached about for years dylan larkin is good mantha is good but detroit doesn't have a game breaker 
a guy who, when things aren't going their way, can literally just make a play out of nowhere. For this level of hockey, the States did, and they won the game because of that. So when we say stuff like that, like, what is a game breaker? That's it. Now, this is like a lower level example, obviously. So don't take that for the world, but that it, it the U.S. has a gold medal around their neck because of it. Um, obviously, Zegras has been was the star of the tournament, and for good reason. And Zegras had also, if I'm remembering correctly, had a fantastic tournament last year as well. Yeah. Um, and he deserved the MVP. Was clearly the best player through and through. Um, I also thought this was a really good showing for people who maybe were a bit confused as to why Alex Turcott was rated so highly. I thought Alex Turcott really shone through like he 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 looked fantastic turcott went where he should have gone in that draft maybe a pick lower depending on who you ask um Z- like zegris should never have made it to nine no i i have just have absolutely no idea how zegris fell to nine uh because buffalo took dylan cousins and edmonton was doing i don't effing know what <laughs> edmonton panicked because they wanted cider and so they just did yeah. that but even harder which like <laughs> Yeah, Broberg in a redraft doesn't go in the top 10. I mean, Turcotte probably goes behind Cider and, and Zegers now as good as he is. But yeah, for the most part, really, most teams got it close to right, except for Edmonton. And Zegers probably should have went. If Zegers and Turcotte flip-flopped, this would make a lot more sense to me, personally. But hey, it's scouting. That's why it's an imperfect, imperfect science. I thought Jake Sanderson was really good all tournament too. Yeah, I think he uh, definitely started to warrant his uh, pick position this year. Yeah, he he had a very strong tournament. Brock Faber, I felt, had a really strong tournament. Ironically, uh, picked with a pick Detroit traded away, but that's okay because we got Theodore Niederbach out of that trade, so I'm okay with it. Um, I mean, it's hard to criticize many players in this tournament. That's the thing. That was the fun thing about this gold medal game. It wasn't because anybody necessarily played bad it's they played too well defensively i mean again when canada was trailing by two goals i would have went to a more aggressive system a bit and the chip and chase a little more but hey that's not the player's fault and yeah some of the guys i expected to do more for canada didn't like i was expecting more from quentin byfield like i know i defended him earlier because people were jumping all over him after two or three games but after that he he really didn't do much he didn't play poorly but he didn't look like a second overall pick um jamie drysdale was very quiet effective but quiet wasn't doing much in the offensive zone and i could say that for at least three quarters of canada's forwards i mean Quinn looked a little lost out there too at times yeah Uh, they tried to put him on any every line to try and get him going or get a line going and it just was not working yeah, I felt Cousins had a good tournament. I felt like Krebs had a good tournament. I felt like Newhook had a great tournament, especially given what he went through. Uh, Dawson Mercer definitely punched above his weight class in his tournament. Uh, Connor McMichael was good. I think that's where my list ends for Canadian it's, forwards. And and the thing is, too, I'm not saying these guys played way like, like they played well. Like they played to their level, maybe a bit beyond, and I, I felt everybody else would fall into the disappointing category. It's crazy how good and or how deep the team Team Canada was with all the first round draft picks, but like, and and everyone you know says how good of a team that was constructed, but here we are. Like, 
Is, Candace still finished second, and like, it's just another year. That team, sh- it's hard to say a team should win gold, but when you look at a team like that on paper, they should be able to roll teams. Even a team like the United States that's got one all, a superstar line, the depth should carry them. Um, hey, well, I think that's a little unfair. Some of the depth players on um, the States played well. Um, one of my guys that I loved outside of the first round a couple drafts ago, John Farinacci had a big tournament. Um, I think Arizona's going to really like him. And, and again, they had, I don't think Kaliev played on that top line, did he? I don't know. I tried no, to not didn't. look. Yeah, I tried to not look at him because his tape job just offended me. Um, but yeah, I mean, the state's depth was was fine not it obviously wasn't to what the level of canada's was but it was fine that being said i'm trying to think did canada only had two top five picks though despite how many first rounders they had right byram and byfield are the only two i can think of yeah lafreniere didn't play um doc didn't play oh that's right yeah 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 like i evan i i agree in theory what you're saying like i think Canada had the talent to, if they had played a better game, not even like a a perfect game, had they just played a a better game, full 60 minutes, they should have been able to beat the States on paper. Um, I think the States, like, I didn't go into this game thinking Canada was, you know, in another tier away from the States. I thought the States was right up there with them, or the States were right up there with them. Um, But yeah, they just didn't play to their level of talent. That's the, the, the simple part of it. And that's the beauty of one game uh, uh well, that's the beauty of the world juniors right yeah it's it's one game it's best on best and at the end of the day they're still kids yeah like they're, they're young adults so anything can happen like they're not professional athletes who should be always at the same level every game they go into they're kids like it's a high pressure situation for a 17 18 year old yeah 19 year old it's very college football, right? Like it's kind of wild and anything can happen and there's big mistakes, which leads to a lot of excitement and that's the beauty of it. But anyways, yeah, congratulations to the United States. Now let's get to the most important part of that night. Uh, (laughs) For the team picture, the United States brought out a blue bin, we'll call it to be neutral for now with a team Canada logo taped on it. And it was, uh, went around and they said it looked like a garbage bin they thereafter said it was a barrel and it represented i actually read the story once i'm like whether or not this is true i like this less than the the trash bin story so i reject this reality but they said it was like a barrel um to represent you know one barrel at a time overcoming hurdles or whatever it is um well yeah i think it's bullshit and i also think the garbage can thing is absolutely hilarious yeah as a canadian screw you guys as a hockey fan hell yeah i love petty i love rivalries i love conflict like the only thing that'll make this better is if next year's world juniors if canada and the u.s um play each other again and canada wins they bring out literally a trash can and a vacuum and a broom and a whatever the hell they can just make it look a big garbage pile next to the picture like let's get petty i'm here for it we'll call it the barrel bowl (laughs) hey if you're gonna come in and shut out the odds on favorite where everyone was saying you're gonna get absolutely crushed by them and you know these guys are gonna demolish you and you have nothing on them 
Yeah, you've won the privilege to rip on them even after the game is over. First name, bunch of numbers, Twitter was absolutely up in arms about this, which is how you know you've done something right. Well, they were up in arms even before the game started when Trevor Zegers was interviewed and he was saying how Devin Levi hasn't really been tested five on five. Canada hasn't really been challenged yet. They haven't played a real team. But he backed it up, which was the yeah, best was part. Yeah, was he wrong? Was he wrong? Well, I mean, I'd be a little pissed if I was if I was Finland. Or <laughs> well, yeah, if Russia. you're Finland, but they had I'd nothing to do with this game. They beat Russia five nothing. They couldn't say anything. Yeah, Russia sucked. Like, Russia, does Russia not Russia's anything. got a whole nother problem. They're crumbling from within uh, in their hockey world right now. Um, but yeah, the 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 old school hockey thoughts or thinkers were already all up in arms before the game even started. And I honestly can't even blame them, too, because you want to know when, in my mind, Canada really lost this game. It was before the game. It was the morning of on SportsCenter and the pregame show where the oh, Canadian hockey pundits, as much as I love them, I loathe them. We're sitting there and having the conversation. Is this the Canadian greatest Canadian world junior team of all time? I'm sorry. They, and to be fair, the, the stats were good. They hadn't given up an even strength goal in the tournament to that point. It's great. Again, look at the round robin schedule. Not all that difficult. They blew Russia out in the semis. So maybe Russia wasn't that good. A possibility. You're talking. Are they the greatest junior team of all time? They hadn't even won the gold yet. So how many gold medals does Canada have? 17-ish, give or take? Cool. This team doesn't rank in the top 17 now. Like, how stupid was that conversation? You got to win. Yeah. Uh, man. I You see it all the time, but, like, the fact that a lot of the Canadian sports commentators were just discovering Zegers this year, I'm like, that's stupid on so many levels. First of all, he did this last year, too. <laughs> Secondly, he's not a new prospect. He's been a great prospect for a long time. It's it's just classic Canadian media focus. It's Anyways, new to I, me, Ryan. It's new I just, to me. Yeah. I just wanted on record, uh, we as the Winged Wheel podcast had Trevor Zegers rated sixth going into his draft. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, are we ever going to move on to, uh, should we talk about the Red Wings camp a little bit more? Of course, because I'm about to do something I haven't ever really done. I'm Shut about up. to, I'm about to heap praise on Jeff Blashill. Oh boy, I'm muting and letting you. This take is this a one. weird 2021. This feels is a weird. weird. We're so, only seven days in. So I'm reading all the takeaways from the beat reporters who are in the building, who get to watch everything that's going on, what the line combinations are, what he's doing with the power play, what he's doing with the penalty kill, who's moved up in the lineup, who's been bounced out. I don't know if he's done anything. Anything I've disliked. I obviously some of it's not going to work because I'm an idiot. So if I agree with it, something's wrong. But I've, I've spent the last five years of this podcast basically as a professional Jeff Blashill detractor. So again, there's no bias here when he's doing good things. I'm going to admit it. I said last episode that his projected top six that he was running with, with the MLB top line and then 
Zadina Fabry, Bobby Ryan as a second line. I said I may not agree with Robbie Fabry as this as a centerman, but I'm very happy he has the six most skilled players on this team in the top six. He has not changed that. Um, is this the first head of the Horsemen, the Apocalypse. I know this is how I know 2021 is when the world's actually going to end. His third line um, players were underperforming, uh, and so he bumped an unknown in Matthias Brome up into the third line because he liked what he saw, despite the fact that he's new, despite the fact that he's not one of, you know, Blashill's typical vet defensive first, yada, yada, yada. No, dude's playing well. Dude put up points in the scrimmages. We're giving him a look on the third line. He put him, who else was on that line? Nemesnikov, who's been having a strong camp from what everybody's been saying. And then Blashill made a good point. He's like, yeah, well, neither of them are great four checkers. So he puts Luke Glendening with them. And I'm usually very against Luke Glendening anywhere but the fourth line. But again, this is still the Red Wings. There's not really anybody better to put there. We knew one of Philip Glendening helms, someone who doesn't belong on an NHL third line, was going to be on a third line. So fine. Franz Nielsen and Adam Ernie have been disappointing and they have been kicked down to being the extras who rotate in and out of the lineup. Like this is not stuff Jeff Blashill typically does. So if this is the evolution to him as a coach, I'm here for it. Like I was very pro fire Jeff Blashill for the last few years. If he evolves as a coach and starts doing things that work, I will jump off that train as fast as anybody. And it's only a week. Let me specify that. Let me preface this by saying it's been a week. We know what this blind blender has done in the past. I'm just saying what I've seen from the first week is positive. Making at first, I was like, Danny DeKaiser on the first power play unit sounds like a horrible idea. But then it's because they want Heronic to be the trigger man on the left flank on the second power play unit. And Danny DeKaiser is one of the few left handed options to be able to feed Anthony Mantha on the right side. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. I don't think DeKaiser is necessarily skilled enough for it, but there aren't better options, especially if you're just going to have Zadina and Heronic on the second power play unit teeing off. Love it. We might actually have a chance when the second power play unit's on the ice now. There's logic there. Hey, Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha are your two best players. We should probably get them on the ice as much as, as you possibly can in any situation. Okay, he's running Larkin and Mantha on the penalty kill this year. They had the two best defensive metrics of any Red Wings forward last year. So in theory, that's a good thing. And also the Red Wings only had four shorthanded goals last year. If Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha are killing penalties regularly, I bet that number goes up. And again, it's just a good thing to have your best players on the ice as much as possible. So if Anthony Mantha now has to eat 21, 22 minutes a night because he's on the penalty kill, my response to that, good. Get him on the ice as much as possible. Hey, from a from a conditioning standpoint, let's get their cardio up while the team's bad so that when they have to do this for four rounds in the playoffs, it doesn't come as shell shock. <laughs> I mean, I really love being negative and I'm not finding much of it in this training camp and it's weird. So the first of all, Evan, in a continuation, um, it's either one of the four horsemen or it's a, a skinwalker wearing Brad's body <laughs> as a suit. Yeah, it could be uh, that too. So both very real possibilities. But Brad, tacking on to what you said, we've talked about this before. This is really, I think, the first 
trial year for Jeff Blashill. He's had kind of a, um, I don't know, a protective layer around him because the roster has been so bad. Uh, the transition with Eisenman coming in, coming in, bought him another year and a bit. Um, but in essence, now the roster has been retooled to a degree where he has expectations and there are going to be consequences, either positive or negative for Blashell based on how this team performs. So logic would dictate that he understands this. Blashell's a really smart guy. He's often referred to as a really, really smart hockey mind, a great guy, and he understands the game and obviously understands the business behind it. Uh, he's not a fool and he understands how whether it's through subtraction or even just filling in the holes, this roster has come leaps and bounds from where it was. You can't afford to have the performance they did last season. Whether there is an implicit conversation between Eisenman and Blashill, and, and I'm being a literal here, this could be a more of a broad theme, um, where they said, hey, we're not expected to win this year. And if we won Alexi Lafreniere, we wouldn't be upset by that. Um that's not happening this year. They, they know they can't do that again. And they know Eisenman has said on record the ramifications of losing repeatedly despite your best efforts to young players can be super detrimental to their development and then thus your team's development. Uh, this year, the expectations are higher. The Red Wings, if they finish last, fine. But it can only be by a few points. They have to be in with the rest of the pack. They cannot be, you know in a crater compared to everyone else. So yeah, I, I think Jeff Blaschel is taking the simplest solutions, just like Steve Eisman did with building the roster, get rid of the worst contracts you possibly can. Don't bring bad, terrible players, sign cheap, uh, but effective players to fill in the holes. So Jeff Blaschel is doing the same thing. Play your six best players on the top two lines, uh, play your best players to the strengths, like keep Heronic on the left side. And as long as Danny DeKaiser is healthy, stick him with him because they're a good pair. Like, that's the simple stuff that gets you back into the fray. And yeah, this is all what they do now has implications. You're completely right, Brad, has implications for down the road. Because when this team is competitive and is skilled enough to make the playoffs, you want to make sure that they're able to do that. They have the work ethic. They have the team chemistry. They have, you know, the drive to do so. And that sounds like a bunch of Don Cherry, Rock'em Sock'em Hockey intangibles bullshit, but it's all very real. Like being in a, a locker room, a team that's meshing, you can't quantify it. They play to a different level and that's not easy to build. So yeah, that's a big diatribe to say Brad's right, which I, yeah. yeah. And, and again, once again, I will repeat because I know people radio us on this shit. It's been a week. What the real defining moment for me is going to be is going to be probably two weeks into the season. Cause let's be honest. I'm, I'm happy. Everything he's done. The team is greatly improved as a roster versus where they were last year. This team is going to improve, but they're still awful relative to the rest of the NHL. This is a team very much in contention for 31st. So if the first six or seven games go by and guess what? The Red Wings are two, four and two or three, three and five or whatever the hell they, their bad record is to start. I don't want to see him panic. Like he always does when it gets bad. He, Blends the lines after the second period. He moves Darren Helm into the top six. He plays Luke Lindenning 18 minutes a night because they're old reliables. I don't want to see that this year. And again, he has to know at this point that Steve Eisenman is not invested in wins and losses. He's invested in improvement, in development, 
in we want this team to be good next year, in a couple of years. And we need to make the moves now to do that. So if we get off to a slow start and Philip Zadina has one goal, one assist in his first six games, he should not be playing on the third or fourth line. He should not be playing 12 minutes a night. He needs to keep himself in it. Blashill needs to keep him in a position to succeed. And playing with a Luke Glendening or a Darren Helm or a Franz Nielsen is not that position. Now, I mean, if you're playing with Luke Glendening, but it's, you know, Bobby Ryan or whoever on the other side. Yeah, there's arguments to be made there, but still, I want to see some consistency. I want to see some composure. I don't want to see the same old habits in game in season that we've seen from Blash Hill over the past, because until I see him avoid that, I just assume it's going to happen because that's what's been happening for the last five years. That being said, everything he's done this preseason, this training camp is not what he's done in the past. So that's why I'm optimistic that this is actually going to be the year he evolves as a coach yeah everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face right so exactly especially when you're in a position like blash hills where it's not necessarily wins and points in the uh, standings you really i don't want to say there's more pressure like i don't think blash hills on more has more pressure than like you know coaches of competitive playoff teams but in a way he's really gonna have to prove his worth as a coach and, and the team's ability and it's not easy to represent in the standing so it's difficult in a different way um it's not that yeah. there's expectations it's just not a free ride anymore yeah yeah speaking of free rides this doesn't this transition didn't make sense but uh we're gonna get into our central division preview but first regarding the divisions <clears throat> this isn't the central division it is the discover tm central division and the Scotia North Division and Honda West Division and Mass Mutual East Division. Uh, checks payable to Winged Wheel Podcast. You can send that. <laughs> um, they sold the naming rights to the uh, divisions as another um, kind of cost offset for all the revenue that they lost over last season and that they will lose over this season because there are going to be almost no fans in any stands all year. Um, first impressions... I hate it as a hockey purist. I hate it, but I understand it. I won't complain about it. And I'm happy to hear that it's planned to only be a year. If it stays, I'm not going to, you know, wet the bed over this. I don't think it's really worth crying over, but I think it's fair to say it's gross. Okay. First, we as a podcast definitely cannot complain about this because we are the same idiots who two weeks ago were sitting here and saying the NHL needs to make money by any means necessary this year. Shortly after we said that, they put ads on the helmets. They're sponsoring it. It's fine. Don't care. This is exactly what we said they should do to survive as a league. Now, as for the actual sponsorships of names, this year, I really don't care. But in a normal year, I also don't care. Because the NHL is boring. And they have the Metropolitan Division and the Atlantic Division and the Pacific Division. Those names mean nothing to me so if we want to call it the honda pacific division or the discover atlantic division in the in a normal year it's fine i mean just look at college football every bowl is sponsored by something everybody still watches it nobody cares the only way i would have any issue for this is if the nhl did what the nhl should have done 20 years ago and renamed the division the Gordie Howe division, 
the Wayne Gretzky division, the Mario Lemieux division. Yeah, you can't put the Honda Wayne Gretzky division because that would sound dirty. That just feels wrong. But since the NHL will never do that, and we're just using essentially arbitrary words to name these divisions, I don't care. The Honda division sounds more fun to me than the West division. So if we're calling it the Honda West division, fine. It's words. I don't care. What it really brings up for me is, again, like I can have, I I think it's okay for people like me who are just stupid and petulant who are like it 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 kind of ruins a vibe but that is literally the end of that conversation and everything that brad said just now is right like this needs to happen we're all big boys and girls and we can understand why the nhl needs to make some money back so the league still runs and and staff keep their jobs and everything like that like that's all more important than our feelings um and i quickly come off that and think about one thing, which is the upcoming TV contract that the NHL and Gary Bettman obviously have to sign. Look at the NBA, look at the NFL, look at the MLB. Sure, there's like there. Of course, those owners aren't happy about the lost revenue, and and of course they've had to take cost cutting measures like any business does. No business operates, you know. W- on anything besides a razor's edge in terms of spending. So once those budgets get slashed, there's real implications. Regardless, um, those leagues, the real major professional sports leagues, they're, they weren't sweating about canceling a season like the NHL was, or if they were, it wasn't as big of a threat. The NHL had a very real threat of canceling the season because small owners, which make up a bigger proportion of the league, like small markets make up a bigger proportion of the league than people might want to admit, they're hemorrhaging money and they're not in a good place. And like, I'm not here crying for billionaires, but I'm talking about the health of a league as a whole. They did not have the foundation that those other leagues had to sit on because of their TV deals. If the players are on the, are on the court, TVs, uh, the the TV deals go through and, and sponsors get to advertise and everything like that. Like they have that money coming in and not saying the NHL TV, NHL's TV deals were bad. Like the ones they signed with, uh, the one they signed with Rogers was like (laughs) at the time that was like lucrative. Um, I'm not familiar with the value of the NBC contract, but I think that's well undervalued now. They need to nail this. And I don't know what that looks like. I, of course, believe in the NHL and hockey as a product. I think it's one of the most exciting sports on TV, if not the most exciting sport on TV. They need to figure out the exact same thing that those leagues did to whatever degree possible because – I'm not saying they should expect a pandemic, although people shouldn't be surprised if in the next 10, 15 years, 10, 15 years, we have another one. Um, They need to be able to survive things like this. And that's what I keep thinking about. And hey, credit to Gary Bettman. Business-wise, he has done so much more for the NHL than people want to appreciate. I'm just saying this will be the tallest task of his career, which is kind of crazy to say. Um, Before I get into anything else, I just want to point out that the beginning of Ryan's... um, little speech there he said everything brad said was right uh which means ryan has now said i'm right about two things in this episode so i defended blashill ryan said i was right multiple times we now have half of the horsemen of the apocalypse so if evan gives a very strong opinion about anything this episode we're doomed we're only one away at that point depends what we have coming up i can't recall 
<laughs> uh, we're actually talking about home prices right now, Evan. Do you oh, have an opinion? <laughs> I have a very strong opinion on that, but uh, <laughs> I will not. Um, I'll not say it on the episode. This guy got so tired of trying to buy some a house that he tried to build his own, and they told him they can't because the wood's too expensive. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm already so sick of 2021. Hey, I'll rent out my backyard. You can build whatever you want back there. I'm just going to go live up in Timmins with the Mennonites or something. I don't know what to do at this point. I don't yeah, think you're Ryan, a horse and buggy guy. This is how this is how, this is how bad it's getting. And Ryan, this is an actual sentence Crystal said to me as recently as this week. F it. We should just move to Windsor. Oh, let's oh, not no. go. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, just so Evan doesn't start crying, the Central Division. Um, this is the last of our divisional previews, as much as we've been able to do divisional previews. Of course, this will be the most important one that we do before the actual Red Wings team preview, which is next episode. Uh, this is Detroit's division. So it is comprised of the Red Wings, Chicago Blackhawks, Florida Panthers, Columbus Blue Jackets, Nashville Predators, Carolina Hurricanes, Dallas Stars, and Tampa Bay Lightning. Who Who wants to take first crack at this one? Um, yeah, so how many points do the Lightning win this division by? I think Dallas and Carolina are within 10 points of them. I'm not there on Carolina. Again, I really like Carolina as a team. I still see a big old question mark next to their goaltending, whereas Dallas is going to be parading out Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin. So that's not exactly a fair fight. I, I think my overall impression of this division is this is the most easily tiered division in the league you have your two powerhouses literally the two teams that just played in the cup final dallas and tampa no real glaring weaknesses on either roster you have the teams that are good but have not been able to get over the threshold with columbus and carolina and i think i even put florida in there because they're bobrovsky's not going to be as bad as he was last year so and nashville like the they're good not great. Not really sure what to expect from them this year. And then there's the boat anchors, the Red Wings and the Hawks. The two teams, I think everybody in the league can confidently say they're going to be bad. All that being said, I'm calling back to what I said last episode. This is absolutely the season of craziness and bullshit where there's going to be one or two teams going on PDO benders that are going to come out of nowhere. Could be the Red Wings or Hawks, but objective, objectively, they're bad. So I I think it's a two horse race uh, for the top and I think it's a two horse race for the bottom and then the murky middle. What I really, yeah, Tampa Bay Dallas seems to be there. I think I'm higher on Carolina than you are. Um, I think they have that third spot locked up pretty well. Hey, if they play some of the hockey that we saw them play last year or even the last couple of years, I think they could push Dallas too. I, I do think it's Tampa Bay's division to win obviously we don't know the impact of losing kucherov for the entire season um so i wouldn't guarantee it there's still my prediction to win the division when you get into nashville columbus florida i'll pick an order i don't really care though because i, I think that can go either way i don't think florida i don't know you know bobrovsky could play like the bobrovsky of old and that'll push him up a spot or two um losing mike hoffman isn't really good for goal scoring in general 
you you should probably try to not lose Mike's Mike's Hoffman. Um, and then you get to your right, Chicago and Detroit. And this is what I think about the most for obvious reasons with Detroit, but they're both kind of peculiar teams. Like, do you really bet that Chicago is going to be the worst team in the league when they have a Patrick Kane? That's hard to do. Um, and you're like, that's one player. And, and that's fair, but it's more than just one player. They're not, you know, derelict. They're not deprived of talent on that team. And if they are one of those teams that finds that miracle depth goaltender that wins 30 games out of nowhere, like, and you're not really talking about Chicago having a chance of being the worst team in the division. Yeah. Who or what is a Kevin Lankinen? We might find out. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Malcolm Subban has to play the entire game. <laughs> so what chance makes them good? What are your really? thoughts on Colin Delia? Nothing. Nothing. I have no thoughts. Yeah, He I- has a blank slate in my my opinion and my analysis of him because i don't know anything yeah and given that malcolm suban is the starting goalie for the hawks we might see a lot of colin delia this year so you might actually have an opinion of him by the end of the year which is weird it's very weird (laughs) i don't know what to make of it like I, i i really i think detroit has done a lot to just get back to regular levels of bad like it sounds like a slight but they had to come a long way to get there last year it was unfathomable to the point where when they went on break break (laughs) the league shut down because of covid the first week was almost like a reprieve for our eyes like it was getting challenging to watch we were counting down the days until the suffering ended for these poor players that's not the the makeup of the team anymore and there's actual young talent there's actual decent depth or not complete like franz nielsen is the only franz nielsen on the team now and that's a ridiculous statement to make, but it means a lot. And like Brad said, they're rotating Franz Nielsen in as the 13th forward or the, the, the extra guy. So I don't know. Here's my picks for the order of the division. It's kind of arbitrary. They're more set in tiers, like I mentioned before. I have Tampa Bay winning it. Uh, Dallas coming second and Carolina finishing third. Um, I'll go Nashville here, fourth. Um, although... Nashville has a lot of questions. Then again, so does Columbus, who I have fifth, and then Florida, who I have sixth. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if those were all jumbled up. (sighs) I am so tempted, and I believe it could be true, where Detroit's not going to finish last in this division, but I still think it'll be Chicago seventh, Detroit eighth, but uh, I think it'll come down to the wire. Yeah, that's it's going to be a photo finish, if you want to call it that either way. Um I'll, I'll agree with you on the top three, not overthinking this despite Carolina's goaltending. Tampa one, Dallas two, Carolina uh, three. That being said, with Kucherov being out for the year, I think Dallas could make this interesting. I'm not betting on it, but I think they can make it interesting. Fourth, I'm going to go Columbus. Uh, they're younger, getting better. Uh, I liked the Anderson for Max Domi trade. They have a lot to prove. Um, and really strong goaltending. So, and especially in a year like this, where there's a lot of back-to-backs and condensed games, where teams are going to be relying on on two goalies. <laughs> Forget one, Chicago teams are going to need two goalies to play well this year. I I I really like the position Columbus is in for that. Uh, I'm going to go Florida number five again, just for the sole fact that they have uh, Huberto, Barkov, and Ekblad, and there's no way Bobrovsky can be that bad again. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. So. I'm just going to put Florida there. I don't like what Nashville's done at all. 
Uh, I liked the pickup of Halla, and that's about it. Their goaltending still sucks. Their defense is getting older. I still have no idea who's going to score goals for this team. I mean, their bubble has to burst eventually. Um, and again, getting to play Tampa, Dallas, and Carolina that many times a year, this could be the year the bubble bursts. Um, so I have them finishing sixth and in all likelihood pretty comfortably out of the playoffs, uh, unless Pekka Rene has a career resurgence or UC Soros proves to be a lot better than he's shown last year. Uh, in seventh, I'm going to put the Detroit Red Wings. I Not necessarily that I have a ton of faith in the Red Wings. I, I know this roster too well. Again, it's a season where teams are going to have to rely heavily on two goaltenders and the Red Wings have Bernie and Grice, two goaltenders I actually have faith in. I don't have faith in one Chicago goaltender, let alone two. The two most important players for their team this year are Duncan Keith and Patrick Kane and Patrick Kane still elite, but they are both on the wrong side of 30 and in Duncan Keith's case, well on the wrong side of 30. Nikita Zadorov's a body on the blue line. Couldn't tell you another defenseman on their team off the top of my head. Um, the two players that were ar- arguably the most responsible for their upset of Edmonton in the play-in round last year, uh, Kirby Doc and Jonathan Taze, might not play this year at all. And that those two losses cannot be understated for the Hawks. The equivalent in Detroit would be losing Mantha and Bertuzzi for the season. Where do you, yeah. how do you think the Red Wings season plays out if that happens? Yeah, I didn't really factor in Taves in there. What yeah, he might mean? play. The problem with him is we don't know. And from what everybody's, when the diagnosis is unknown, that's not a good sign. So I'm making this prediction under the assumption that he misses all, if not most, of the season. Because it is a a condensed season. So even if he is only out two to three months, that's most of the season. So I still really like Patrick Kane. As good as he is and as good as everybody knows he is, I still think people don't appreciate just how good he is. I really like Alex Dabrinkit. And they have a couple other young guys on the up and up that, that should have decent years. Uh, Dylan Strom's had a not a, I'm not going to say a resurgence, but he's had a nice little run since he got to Chicago versus what was happening to him in Arizona. But I mean, if we're looking at, oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. If we're looking at depth, I actually like Detroit's more. Ugh, that's that's horrifying. Like at least our key contributors this year are young, and we can expect improvement. Like our bottom six is horrible, but so is Chicago's. Our defense is horrible, but so is Chicago's. Like, yeah, Adam Boakfist should have a good step in his career this year, but it's his second year. I don't think he's carrying a blue line this year. And the tiebreaker for me, Bernie and Grice versus Subban and insert name here. I think Detroit wins that battle handily. So, yeah, I mean... I tried talking myself into Detroit eighth. I just, I can't. I, Chicago's too bad. Now that, that now that I've said that, they are absolutely going to be the team that goes on a PDO bender and makes the playoffs. Just mark that because I've, I've cursed it to happen. But yeah, based on everything we've seen happen so far, I'm going Detroit seventh, Chicago eighth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hmm. Am I the tiebreaker? What is there left to say? Well, yes, you, what I, is I, there left to say? My murky middle also differed from Ryan's, so you can have some fun there, too. This feels like a lot like last week for me where I said the top is good and everybody else, it's like, all right, just battle it out eating your crayons. Yep. Um, so for me, it's still Tampa-Dallas. I think it's a little bit closer with uh, Kucherov out, but I still I still like Tampa more than Dallas. Um, so that's my top two. After that, I'm going to go with Carolina as well. Uh, they're another year older, another year more experienced. I don't think they can leapfrog any, any of the other two teams, but I don't think anybody else is going to pass them unless the wheels completely fall off. Um, at number four, for me, Florida and Columbus are so interchangeable here that I, I have a really tough time picking it. I don't know if Columbus is going to get the level of goaltending they did last year or happen again. And I don't think... Florida is going to get the level of goaltending <laughs> that they got last year again. If Bobrovsky figures it out and Columbus uh, trends downward a little bit in their goaltending, I think Florida will leapfrog them. That being said, if I had to pick a, a team right now, I'll say Columbus, then Florida. Um, then who do we got left? We got... <laughs> Evan, I'm just saying you're six for six with my picks right now, buddy. <laughs> well, it's it's got to be Nashville, right? After that, yep. For me, when Nashville's windows closed, you know they still have a couple intriguing pieces on their team, but this is a roster that's shown that they can't win, and they haven't done anything to change it. So they're they're going the wrong way for me. Um, and now, who do we got left? Detroit and Chicago, eh? Detroit and Chicago. The two powerhouses of the central <laughs> division. Um, what you guys have said, I, I completely agree with. Like, who is going to play a net in Chicago? And did, we know Detroit's going to be bad, but it's not going to be as painful as last year. But is that less painful level of the Detroit Red Wings better than Chicago? That's the question. And I. Don't really know where I fall on it, but I have to pick. Um, I just, I have to say Detroit, Chicago. I have to, because how can, I can't confidently say Chicago's a better team because I look at their goaltending and they, it's <laughs> non-existent. Like, I can't even say that I think Malcolm Subban could go on like a, a, a heater. I, I just don't, he can't. He, I don't think he will, and I hate to rip on a guy, but I just don't see it. So, without you know, if they had Jonathan Taves, that would change my answer. But they don't, so they are loaded up on one line, and that's just forwards. That's it. After that, Duncan Keith's got to play like a man possessed. I don't see it. I I just don't see it. So I, I think you know everything it's a perfect storm for chicago right now to be last place in this division you guys are i just it's hard it's hard man it's a hard pick i still don't like detroit at all (laughs) but um and they very well could and should finish last but that the man who disagrees with everything i said just went eight for eight on my picks (laughs) yeah It's okay, tough? first of all, we need to have Evan that, start picking these first the thir- next time. There's the third horseman of the apocalypse. 
Well, Ryan, you know for sure I didn't listen, so. Uh. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. That's yeah. That's the always like foolproof with you. Like no one could ever accuse you. They can accuse me or Brad if we go one after the other of copying. We know. <laughs> I, like we know what you're doing when you're tuned out and when you're looking at your other screen and you can see the light changing. I'm like, oh, he's just wor- he's doing his research right now. That's all. Or I'm uh, looking at real estate. Or he's looking at real estate. <laughs> <laughs> Priceoflumber.com. Um, no. Uh, for yeah, me, if, I- if Jonathan Taves is in the lineup, they finish above Detroit. Not because I think Jonathan Taves is like a huge game breaker, but he's the team captain. He brings some stability to that the locker room. And I think he would you know, be an excellent person in a locker room to weather the, some of the storms that they're about to go through. Um, but without him, they're going to be kind of looking around. And they still have a lot of leadership but it's not the same without captain serious yeah yeah no i factoring all that in i I can't bring myself to dislike your pick of detroit at seven chicago eighth um i also try not to be too optimistic about detroit um i'm not optimistic don't don't (laughs) uh confuse that with optimism there's none (laughs) when when my rationale for putting detroit seventh was a five-minute rant about how bad Chicago is. That should tell you how much faith I have in Detroit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, Uh, our pseudo-central division preview. Next up is the big one, the Red Wings uh, season preview that's coming on Sunday. Um, Always a fun episode for us. Obviously a weird one this year, but that's one where we really get into the weeds, break down the entire Red Wings team. So keep an eye out for that. Um some other little tidbits of news. The ECHL is just not going to run this year. The Toledo Walleye, the Red Wings affiliate, um, aren't playing. So we can probably see some repercussions or some cascading effects from that. Um, the taxi squad in the NHL will really do a lot to mitigate that. So there's less talent that needs to be stuck in the NHL and instead will travel with the Red Wings. Um, yeah, just another unfortunate reality of the pandemic is that smaller leagues like the ECHL won't have the ability to run. So, Brad, I'm sorry, your dreams of walking on as an ECHL player are dead for this season, and you're not just getting another younger, year buddy. to train. Exactly, <laughs> I'm gonna come in the best shape of my life. Uh, I don't just not kidding, believe I have that. To start physio next week, so yeah, on your shoulder, knee. What did you do to your knee? I Brad, don't know. Brad, we, we are the same. I'm, I was also doing knee physio last yep. time I was there. Yep. I don't I don't know why. Uh, that little... What's that little bone that's right... Sticks out right below your kneecap? No idea. Uh, I don't know. Be one. <laughs> I have it on both legs, so I know it's there. Like you, Sorry, you track it down, sticks out under your no, kneecap? No, it's like a little... No, if you trace... Run your hand down your leg, past your kneecap, about another inch or so, your there's shin? that little... It's, I think it's the top of your shin. Yeah, I think it's that's the what top it is. of your, yeah, 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 your fibula and tibula. For three months, tibula. I haven't been able to kneel and I haven't been able to get in a full squat because of pain on there. Mm. That exact spot. There's nothing around it. No swelling, no bruising, nothing. It's just right there. I can't even do a body weight squat right now. It's annoying as hell. That's because you're fat. Well, yeah, the quarantine, you know, hit everybody pretty hard, Ryan. <laughs> Some kind of patellar thing. I don't know. Well, that's, I don't know. Thank you for keeping me young. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to the doctor about it. Like, I can walk, I can skate, I can find. It's just when I get full knee bend, it, I'm 75 years old. Um, Did you guys see Brandon Tanev's 2021 screenshot? He's seen some shit, man. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone joked and they were like, oh, Brandon Tanev saw what was going to happen in Washington before we all did. Here, Evan. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh. He just saw his own contract term. Yeah. It looked like he was like sneaking around in a room with the lights off and then someone opened the door, turned the lights on. That's what he looks like. <laughs> he got exactly caught red handed. Oh man, what other uh, oh. quick little stories are there? HL is starting. Did we talk about that? February 5th, I think yeah. it is. I big could news. talk about how much, how big of an asshole my wife is right now. What'd she do? I can smell popcorn, but I can't move. Are you a big fiend for popcorn? Yes, it's bad. Huh. Do you like uh, seasoning on your popcorn? Absolutely. But I'm, I'm not passionate about it. I enjoy it without. Okay. Yeah, well, good to know. Um, and anything else? Nope. As yeah, Brad- can we wrap this up? I got places to be. <laughs> Okay, on that note, because Brad's <laughs> hungry, let's jump into overtime midweek episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast. So this is Patreon exclusive. Um, our patrons are just generally uh, better people than anyone else we've met in our entire lives. So thank you all for being so great. Uh, Michael Lang says, hello, dudes, listening since August and finally a patron. I packed up my truck and moved into an RV to live and work full time on the road shortly after I started listening. So thank you for providing me endless entertainment during long move days. Currently coming to you live from sunny Arizona, so life is good. Um, As someone who slipped and fell on the ice in my driveway fairly recently, screw you, but also seriously, thank you for supporting the show. We really (laughs) appreciate it. my question to you is, who is your favorite one-season Red Wing? Mine is Brad May. I still go back and watch the clip of him getting screwed out of a goal when I want to feel angry. Thanks again, and go Wings. One-season Red Wing. Since I can't remember who all played for exactly how long past a few years ago. Is it Alfie? Alfie was one season, right? All right. So I'm going to equate this to more of a team pick and someone who's kind of along for the ride but it was a good story and it was really fun and it was unexpected so it checks all three boxes damian bruner the 12 13 red wings were fun they he was one season he was one season huh yep and he he played well he was about a half a point per game he was on the breakout line of the 2013 playoffs with Anderson and Nyquist because apparently that worked for some reason and somehow got us to game seven of the second round of the playoffs when objectively that team on roster should have never even sniffed the playoffs. So yeah, I'm going to go with Damian Bruner. That was fun. He was fun. I still remember his shootout goal against Columbus. I'll say Curtis Joseph. He was more than a year for sure. Really? Yeah, I only remember one year. Was. I only remember ripping the hearts and souls out of Leaf fans. That was it. <laughs> Ooh, Luke yeah. Robitaille is a good answer here, too. Luke Robitaille is probably the answer there. I was Brett trying all to... one year, too. No, it no, was he, was, no. he was a way longer than you would think. Yeah. How, how? He, he was at least three seasons. COVID has, like, destroyed my understanding of time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's March 726 still. Don't forget. Feels like it. Yeah. Um, I was going to say there's someone from the O2 team that's the perfect answer. And I was like, it's not like Freddie Olison or something. Freddie Olison? It was Frederick Olison, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Brett Hall was three seasons in Detroit. Um, yeah, Jeez. No, that, that's, that's crazy. 
Uh, Joey Bag of Donuts says, let's get some fantasy leagues going with all these great patrons, not just the like the automatic ones that you guys run. Yeah, if you guys are in the Discord, I know our leagues are drafting on Monday. We filled up two leagues with our um, the tiers of the patrons who qualify. But if you guys want to get other leagues going via the Discord channel, like by all means, like there's a lot of people looking. And you guys, if you want to organize your own like paid league and whatever, like have at it. That's awesome. Um, third man in says, uh, as much as I think we're going to love Mo Sider, when the wings passed on Trevor Zegers, did they miss their best opportunity to draft the playmaking one C they're missing in this rebuild or does Zegers project as more of a two C in the NHL? Um, it's tough to say he absolutely has the potential to be a one C. Um, I think there's a reasonable chance Trevor Zegers turns into Nicholas Backstrom, which is absolutely a one C. Um, it w- there was a question asked on um, our Patreon a, a couple months ago, and I, I think it's still the appropriate question because to compare Zegers to Sider is kind of unfair because A, a couple other teams also passed on Zegers, and B, Sider is really good, and they play very different to, uh, positions. What would you prefer? Trevor Zegers and Jamie Drysdale or Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider? And... Zegers with this tournament made that a much harder decision. My answer at the time was Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider. I think my answer is still Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider, but yeah, it's it's a wash. Like they're they're all really goddamn good. <laughs> or to be an asshole here, Brad, do you take Lucas Raymond, Trevor Zegers? Like I mean, obviously I do that, <laughs> but we you need defense at some point, so. Like, again, if if we redraft 2019, I still think most, I think most Saturn and Trevor Zegers both go in the top six. I think Turcock gets bumped out, I think is how that would go. Here's my take on it. Honestly, I think at this point, Zegers might go third. So you, unless you're drafting a top two or top three player who's like bonafide in that spot throughout the entire season and really we only have the top one or maybe two locked in for the nhl draft all year where it pans out that way if either one of those guys are center that's the only guy who you can have the realistic projection and expectation to say this is our one c la should expect byfield to be a one c lafreniere should expect it to be a first line winger like that's just how that works um when you, when LA drafted uh, Turcotte and when Anaheim drafted Zegras, they could fairly say we want we expect Turcotte to be a one or two C, or even more fairly, Anaheim could say we expect Zegras to be a really good two C with first line center upside. Was that the Red Wings' best opportunity to draft a first line center in the past while? Yeah, of course. Of course it was, but like Brad said, other teams passed on him. It's it it's really hard to have this conversation because it's nuanced. You it's Cider has been so phenomenal through and through, and he fills a very real need on this Red Wings team. And that's even before you talk into his talk about his offensive development, which is still continuing. Like it's a really great thing how Cider has come through. Obviously, had they picked Zegras, nobody would be disappointed either. They play different games objectively yeah that was a fantastic choice or a fantastic opportunity at a 1c but um if we're thinking about this as they were going to take a defenseman at some point i would prefer the raymond cider combo right now here's the 
problem. And, and this is, I think, where the entire argument blows up um, against us. There, as of right now, I don't think there is a number one C at all in the 2021 draft. But I can see a few top pairing defensemen coming out of it. So if my answer, if I, if you, if let's say the Red Wings pick like third, hypothetically, you give me the option of Zegris, Raymond, and pick one of Owen Power, Edvinson, Lambos, Brant Clark. Yeah, that's the one I'm taking. Yeah, obviously on the show, we do, re- we try really hard not to piss people off, but I can't lie at all. Like, absolutely, that's the choice there. And again, that is not at all a detraction from Mo Sider. I just don't know. You factor in how much of a surprise Mo Sider, the Mo Sider pick was, and that we weren't really realistically expecting to get him. Nothing. You are never taking anything away from the Mo Sider pick, and how happy we will all still be when he turns out to be a great player. But Zegers having Zegers Raymond and one of those guys would be phenomenal. And and here's the one thing I will say in Mo Sider's defense because I love Mo Sider, and literally every single game I watch of Mo Sider, my opinion of him goes up and what I think his ultimate upside is goes up. He, again, I was saying a couple weeks ago, I think he could be a really number two C with decent offensive upside, but not elite offensive upside. Dude goes up. See, he's not playing center anytime soon. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. But, um, uh, number two D, but, and then he goes and puts up four points today in a five, four loss in one of the best leagues in the world. And they weren't just nothing points, uh, backside one T, a uh, beautiful uh, end, not end, end rush, but like near end, end rush, where he finishes with a nice, behi- like behind the defender's back pass to his streaking winger right on the tape. Like, man, this guy proves me wrong. It, it, I'm not even going to say me. He proves all of us wrong at every turn because nobody saw this coming. What most siders' realistic projection is versus what Trevor Zegers's realistic pr- projection is, I think Sider's more likely to hit. If they both hit what I think their ultimate ceilings are, which is rare either of them do. But if they both do, then yeah, Zegers is the better pick. Because again, I could see a reality where Trevor Zegers is a Nick Backstrom type. I think most siders' ultimate upside is Ryan Suter. Both all-stars. Both contenders for best player at their position in the league uh, at different points in their careers. But if you're asking, are you taking Ryan Suter in his prime or Nick Backstrom in his prime? I think nine out of 10 people would take Nick Backstrom. So again, it's not a knock on Cider. We could be sitting here in five years going, wow, we were stupid. Zegers is playing uh, third line C with a bit of power play time. And most Sider is the Red Wings number one defenseman. There's a reality where that happens too. So like it's, it's all projection. That's all this is. Like, so I know people get mad when we say, yeah, we probably still would take Zegers over Cider. Doesn't mean we don't love Mo Cider. It doesn't mean Mo Cider wasn't worth the sixth overall pick. He absolutely was. He is absolutely living up to the bill of a sixth overall pick. No question in my mind about that. If this draft was redrafted, and this is why I say this all the time so people don't get on my case about it, I think in a redraft, he goes sixth overall. The only thing is, I think Zegers goes third or fourth. That, that's it. That's the difference. Maybe fifth. Like, yep. that's that's all I'm saying. Yep. And there's lots of time for me to be proven wrong on this one. And, and like, I think you put that perfectly. And the only thing I add on is that exactly what you just said. There is a big margin for this to flip-flop. Like, there's a big margin for these guys to cross over in terms of who's projected higher and who could be better. They're not 
that much different. Like if I said uh, no more than a couple weeks ago, I think Mo Sider is an elite defenseman who could be a number two defenseman on a really good team and have decent offensive upside, like in that 35, 40 point range. After what I saw today, yeah, my my projection of that's going. I can see a reality where he turns into a number one defenseman. When I say I think he's a number two defenseman, that doesn't mean I think that's what his complete and top ceiling is. That's what I think he's going to be. There is a reality where he is a number one defenseman on a contending team. I think that's a bit of a long shot still, but like I said earlier, he's proving us wrong time and time again, and I love it. Um, Evan Beckner uh, actually edited his comment and said, hey guys, originally had a couple paragraphs of trash talk and chirping aimed at our Canadian friends, but in light of recent events, it just didn't seem fitting or fun. I'll just say this, treat others as you yourself would wish to be treated. Go Red Wings and God help America. Um, Evan, you can trash talk us whenever you want, buddy, but totally understand. Um, AJ Voss, God knows we we deserve it. Um, AJ Voss has just got done reading Ken Daniels' book. It was really good and I highly recommend it for any hockey fan, but there's one quote that didn't age so well that I thought I'd share. For context, this was written in 2017 and is on Mike Babcock and his tenure with the Wings. The quote is, I know he's changed a little bit since then. He'd tell you that. He's going to turn that Toronto team into a Stanley Cup winner before his eight-year deal runs out there. He doesn't have the same veteran group in Detroit, so he can mold the kids before they grow tired of the same voice. Looks like even the best hockey minds get it wrong sometimes. Yeah, it turns out being a monumental asshole to your players <laughs> doesn't work twice how could you how could we have known <laughs> it's almost like i i'm i have that bet that i made with adam muscaris um when he went to toronto i i bet him a hundred dollars that over the course of his contract whether he completes it or gets fired he won't win the cup um which was more just me he won't with, or the leafs won't that babcock wouldn't win the cup with the leafs oh so you've like, already won the bet then i've already yeah i've already got my hundred bucks i donated okay. half to charity and i spent the other half on rent poor um the uh the thing is i think i made that bet at the time decided like to deal with my own heartbreak over babcock leaving but then in now that we know in retrospect what happened i'm pissed that he didn't win more than one cup it's probably his fault he should have with that team anyways josh terrell says dear king bitch i think that's you brad uh and resident uh, pronunciation expert is it askarov or askarov as pronounced on nhl network i would have asked ryan but he can't even pronounce pizza properly <laughs> <laughs> that is true that's true you can't that, that's fair um this is one of the ones i've heard both variations so often i have no idea so, Ryan, why don't you, uh, in the meantime here, look up all the weirdest pronunciations of prospects while I pull up Elite Prospects and see what that says. Because Isn't it just like, uh, depending on where you put the um, the emphasis? Yeah, essentially. The emphasis, yeah. Well, but, the World uh, Juniors are a nightmare for this because sometimes they know, and sometimes they're just speaking with so much reckless confidence that you're like, "Where do you know something I don't? They can't be wrong. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's see what Elite Prospect says. Yaroslav Askarov. 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 I'm not saying I like that. It's Askarov. <laughs> Askarov. I think we can say Askarov. Yeah, Yaroslav uh, Askarov. There, that's as close as the as we can get while Englishing it up. Uh, Vincent Saladino says, I just want to hear Ryan chant this. All right, fair enough. USA, USA, USA. Have a good day, boys. 
Uh, Evan was right. It sounds weird right now. <laughs> <laughs> La Plata Peak, for uh, context, this thread went up yesterday on uh, Wednesday. Like morning. Midday. Morning. Yeah. Wednesday morning. Uh, La Plata Peak says, I love to see the emotion displayed by both the U.S. and Canadian players. While I was born in Dearborn and was cheering for the States, watching Bowen Byram do everything he could to control himself while handing out silver medals to his teammates was heart-wrenching for me. Uh, watching Zegers run his pregame mouth was wrenching to my gut, but seeing him back it up on the ice was amazing, as not many 19-year-old kids have the gall and gumption to do both with a certain level of class. Can't wait to see how their NHL careers pan out, but last night both Byram and Zegers did their teams and countries proud. Stood as great reminders how important hockey can be in the development of being a good leader and in general a good human being uh next comment is from brad's mustache and it just says i miss you uh <laughs> you too <laughs> david's I mean, kind of back it is yeah. in a week uh david says with everything going on right now i just want to say i love you guys thank you so much for providing me with entertainment for the last three years 2021 will only be better than 2020 if we make an effort to make it so spread the love be kind to one another and let's fucking go red wings david we love you too you're right but that sounds like a lot of work don't know if i'm up for it (laughs) (laughs) just Uh, kidding world junior obviously Bin says, good day, dud duds. Another world junior gold medal game and another epic choke job by Canada. But in the end, they were, they, I misspelled were one time in a tweet. And it was just one of those days where I'm like, I'm not deleting and reposting this. Everyone knows what I said. I spelled, put the T in the place of the R. So he says, in the end, they wait. No match for me. US and A secret weapon, the bin. Draft eligible 2021. Now, I've seen a lot of revisionists tweeting about Trevor Zebras, and I am here to remind people that whilst cowardly Zebras decide to play against literal kids, the chosen one, Mo Sider, is out there in a men's league destroying people like a smiling assassin, and at 19 is the 16th best scoring defenseman. Eisenman made the right call. Edit, and now a day later, my boy goes one goal and three assists as the OG Sider hype train conductor. You all must apply to me for tickets to ride along. Especially you, cop guy. We all remember your reaction to the correct draft choice. Uh, Jersey time. In honor of Canada finishing in second place again. Lol. Give me their top five international jersey styles. All are in play. World Junior, Olympics, World Champs. And so help me God, if you leave out the green ones, there will be trouble. I'm leaving out the green ones. I'm keeping the green. I love the green ones. Yeah, there's no green in a Canadian flag. Get those the hell out of here. Um, Okay, so... I'm trying to do a quick run through. I think I'm going to go best to worst because it's easiest to run through in my head. I think the best would be the OG like 72 jerseys where the Canadian leaf came up from the bottom on an angle and took up like half the front of the jersey. Those things are unbelievable. Uh, Number two, I'm actually going to go with the current black iteration of their jerseys because they still have red and white. So I'm counting it, but those jerseys are beautiful. Three, I'm going to go O2 Olympics. Simple, but like perfect. Four, I'm going to go, I don't, I, I'm just quoting the tournaments I remember them being used in. The O9 World Juniors. The, again, a simple iteration of the jersey, but it worked oh so well. And five, God, there's some candidates here. I want to go. The Nagano jerseys, just because those were like in the theme of pure 90s bullshit. You know what? I can't not include some pure 90s bullshit in here. So I'm going to go with those number five. 
Yeah, those jerseys you talked about from the the leaf coming up from the side, that's the 1987 Canada Cup jersey. I think yeah. that's one of the nicest jerseys in hockey history. That's number one for me. Absolutely. Um, I'm super, super, super partial to the um, 2010 Olympics. I love the like the leaf with like the indigenous like inscriptions kind of embedded in it. Either the home or away, I don't particularly care. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I think you're right. The O2 Olympics deserve a lot of credit. It's a very simple, basic jersey, um, but I love them. Uh, Brad, the green jersey for me. I'm so, I just think like sometimes you got to get weird. The 2010 World Junior green jersey. You're right. It doesn't make sense. And I love it. Um, like here, Here's okay. Here's why maybe this bothers me more than it should. I don't remember the reason they were green. I'm sure there's some heritage meaningful thing to go with it, which is great, but it's not something like I don't remember it. So it can't be like that superly common, well-known thing, right? Like, I don't know. I just, nah. like visually the Jersey was fine. Didn't do like anything amazing or awful for me, but like it's green. And uh, they did a riff on this in the new millennium, but 1982 World Junior Jersey with the stick, the three leaves in Canada going. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, that's like those ones. I don't know, Evan, if you want to tack on there or if you. Not really a Jersey guy, but I do (laughs) like the uh, the current black ones, but also the red within the black shoulder chest, upper chest area with the very small maple leaves all over. I I really like that design choice in the black and also in the red i'm a big fan of the gloss patterns on shoulders and i actually really like the uh, dimples on the adidas jerseys on the shoulders i don't know why but i think it adds a cool effect for me you're just a texture guy yeah uh stay fresh cheese bags when you have a truckload of gold medals to bring home use stay fresh cheese bags to keep them extra shiny official sponsor of the us and a world junior team stay fresh cheese bags of fournier company nick zonka says hey guys wasn't able to find an answer to this myself so i figured i'd ask you do you know how the coyotes forfeited first round pick will work this year will they be included in the draft lottery and then skipped over when it's their turn or will they be just excluded from the lottery i'm leaning towards included and skipped since their 2020 second round pick was just skipped over thanks i i think that makes the most sense because then teams can't gripe about um oh my odds got better or worse based on the new math whatever that might be i don't know if there's a way to make it perfectly even just by removing the slot but yeah it would probably make the most sense to just run the lottery as normal and if the coyote spot wins it well congratulations number two you get number one, and then we only have two lottery winners, which in my mind is a better system already. <laughs> and so then if the team that finishes last doesn't win a lottery, hey, they only fall to third. I digress. So really, um, that being said, no, I don't know what the NHL is actually doing. For no, but it does kind of offset Seattle, right? Yeah, because, like, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks for reminding me there was a reality in which the Red Wings could fall four spots this year, Ryan. <laughs> thanks. Not like that hasn't already happened in 2017. Uh, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says, Good evening, fellow Elmerists. Out of the top 10 from the 2019 draft, who would you trade one for one from Moritz Sider if you were offered the trade today? 
Side note, got myself a VR setup for my PS4. Beat Saber is insanely fun. Do you have any VR game favorites? Brad has no answer and gets extra curry and onions on his pineapple pizza. <laughs> I like curry, but uh, yeah. No, yeah um, I've like heard anyone, really... Anyone in the top 10 of the 2019 draft? Hold on, I'm going to give him a game recommendation. I heard the Astrobots Rescue game on PlayStation VR is one of the best ever. Uh, anyone from the top 10 of the 2019 draft? Okay, Jack Hughes. Yeah, yeah, same. it's Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes. Wait, you trade who for the decider? Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> yes. One you- one less than stellar season from Jack Hughes does not lead me to believe he is a complete and utter bust. <laughs> hey, Brad. Um, actually, let's go through this. I, I I think we have to just as an exercise. Am I, I just want like this? You don't, do you do Bow and Byram? I do. I wouldn't be upset if that trade happened, but I wouldn't go out of my way to push it, if that makes sense. I don't know if I have the spine as a GM to do that. I wouldn't if I was uh, Joe Sackick. (laughs) This is a trade where you would make if they needed a change of scenery. Uh, my, My big question, my big Brad question here is, Brad, do you do it for Kirby Doc? Who at the time I remember you did not want at six if other players were no I didn't. Um, he's done enough to prove me wrong about ranking him tenth or eleventh wherever I had him. From a pure skill standpoint, I would probably say yes, especially considering he's a center. Yeah, I'd probably do it. But again, the- it's not one I'm going out of my way to push. No, all this to say this is a hypothetical world where teams make these kind of trades with prospects, which does not happen in the NHL. Um, look, Moritz Sider has more than earned his six overall draft slot, but that's a very strong top 10 in that draft. Like Hughes, Kako, you could argue, I think has, even Hughes, I guess, depending on how wild you want to get, could argue that their first year uh, could give you some pause. Doc has done great. Byram's obviously a great prospect. Turk, I'm still super high on. Um, yeah, I'm not. Hell, no. even Pod Colson looked great this tournament. Pod Colson had a good tournament. I'm not sure I make the deal. Trevor Zegras. No, I don't I do don't, the deal I, for Pod Colson. I'm just saying he looked good. So did Cousins. The top 10 of this draft is shaping up to be real strong. Except Broberg, for Edmonton. No. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Um, C nods says, Hey guys, quick one. What the hell are the Panthers going to do with Knight? His stock is super high, <laughs> but they have so much money in their current goalie that is more or less unmovable. You three are the GM of the Panthers. What do you do? Uh, I defer to Evan. Wasn't even listening. <laughs> I just got sent a uh, fundraiser charity thing. So I was reading that. Um, so like non, uh, like all jokes aside, yeah. I trade him now. I don't know if his value will ever be higher. Um, there's a lot of goalie needy teams out there. I know I'm not getting out from that uh, Bobrovsky contract. I mean, mm, value's at an all-time high. And let's not forget, Devin Levi looked really goddamn good. It's not like you don't have a backup plan there, right? So if we're, if we're looking at this ransom. from... Yeah, you're looking at if you're looking at this from an asset management standpoint, now is the time. The other option is you ride it out 
And th- and this actually, now that I'm thinking about the top of my head, is probably the best option. So scrap what I just said. You keep them. You probably have to trade Bobrovsky with like three or four years left on his contract and retain half his salary or close to it. Because I mean, Sergey Bobrovsky for five, six, seven million is very palatable for a lot of teams. And you ride out those years while Spencer Knight's on his ELC. So you don't get the years of, you know, coasting Knight on an ELC, but that might be the way you get out from Bobrovsky without having to royally screw your cap. So you lose the advantage, but you don't absolutely murder your cap because you're still paying, you know, three to five million for a goalie, but whatever. It's it's Spencer Knight, so you're happy with it. So yeah, I changed my answer. That's that's the asset management standpoint there. Uh, I still stick with my answer of deferring to Evan. Nick Putty says, hey, guys, real quick, I just wanted to throw my hat in the ring for the always tired champ. My wife and I have been working from home since April, but she's in customer service taking inbound calls all day. I get the responsibility of watching my girls while also trying to do my job throughout the day. Our oldest is in first grade, so she's doing virtual school two days a week and in class two days a week. Um, Our youngest started intro to hockey this year at age three, so I also spend five nights a week at the rink with the girls. It would have been six, but I bowed out of my beer league for the right reason. Reasons. Apparently, the teams are just trading COVID for uh, to each other. Oh, God. Uh, one team had everyone get it. With the uncertainty of everything, I also decided to freeze a 20 by 40 section of our backyard for us to skate on. Uh, the girls really love hockey, so I wanted to keep that going for them if the rink ended up getting shut down. Long story short, I just want to thank you uh, guys again for what you do. Let's me check out on the morning walks with the dog where I'm uninterrupted. I do have a question on skate sharpening that Brad might be able to address at another time. Uh, as I'm, as you can guess, with this much skating, we're just chewing through blades. And hashtag go pack go. Man, it was a nice comment until the go pack go. Why'd you got to do that? <laughs> so a couple things. As for skate sharpening, um, in terms of if you're going on the ODR a lot, what type of sharpening you get is really not going to impact it. If you get a half inch or a seven, seven eighths, it's, it's, you're going to dull them down the same. You're going to get the same chips. It's not worth overthinking. Um, your best bet is if you have skates that have the, um, quick release trigger, go buy a really shitty pair of second steel and just swap them out when you go on the outdoor outdoor rink and save the good steel for when you're going on a proper rink. Um, and it's eerie how similar our lives sound, honestly, because my wife is an escalations manager and deals with inbound calls all day. And I have a kid in intro to hockey and the only difference is my province is shut down so all the things you are doing i probably would be doing if if i was allowed to (laughs) so Uh, the difference is when we met nick when he won the giveaway to come to a game evan and i like nick way better than we liked you oh yeah that's fair that's That's very true that's that's a fair statement uh nick you're an amazing dad good for you for building that rink but yeah like yeah I, oh yeah uh, and i i don't have a backyard big enough to build a rink so you got me built beat there <laughs> when he said a 20 by 40 section of our backyard i went oh yeah he's from wisconsin <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that's literally bigger than my backyard <laughs> um yeah outdoor rinks are gonna chew through them did brad did you uh, abbreviate outdoor rink to odr if you are unaware that's uncommon, what are you doing on a hockey podcast? I've never, I didn't know that either, Ryan. No. I had only recently learned about Okay, maybe this is just because of where I work. I've never actually in like a year heard someone call it an outdoor rink. I've only heard it called an ODR. I've never heard anyone call it an outdoor rink. I just call it a pond. Yeah. Whether it's a pond or not. By the way, thanks for the tip. The ice at Whistlebear was so good. It's not anymore. I went tonight. 
Damn it, because I'm going Saturday, Evan. Don't ruin this for me. I I played pond hockey my whole life, and I've anyways we're. I don't know, maybe uncultured in Windsor. Um, John Evans <laughs> says, uh, speaking of uncultured, uh, John Evans says, hello, gentlemen, greetings from Ohio. Sorry, John. I <laughs> uh, he says, want to thank Evan for the positive influence he had on my career recently. Our company had us all do predictions for how our sales would end for the year. And since it was an arbitrary guessing game, my guess ended in $69,420. Guess who <laughs> Glad won. I could make an influence on someone's life. Uh Thanks uh, to channeling my inner Evan, I'm the winner of a $50 gift card, not to mention our reputation for prognosticating. Let's all ask ourselves in our future career endeavors, what would Evan do? That will make you a billionaire. Is that the fourth horseman? I'll take 50% of that gift card. You can just uh, DM me. Yeah. And in Canadian dollars, that's another $50. (laughs) Um, Adam Kalsert says, with a week... Uh, until the season starts, I've been trying to watch at least one movie a day. Last one I watched was about a sheriff whose town gets take over, taken over by an astronaut. Eventually, the cowboy and astronaut both get abducted by a giant, and they have to team up to defeat the giant and get back to their city. Toy Story was a wild ride. I was like, oh, what is this? I was going to say, like, I guess that's Toy Story on edibles. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, the Caminator says we are about a week away from the Red Wings season starting back up, but remember the NWHL is starting at the end of January and their semifinals and finals will be broadcast, uh, in the States on NBC, big landmark for women's sports. So remember to turn the TV on and watch, help the ladies out now just to figure out which team to cheer for. I mean, I want, I'm going to cheer for the Toronto six just on their a plus jerseys that they sold me. I want the uh, some version of a women's hockey league to expand just so I have another pro sports team in Detroit to cheer for. Absolutely. If there is a Detroit WNHL team, NWHL team, don't care, we're in. Uh, Antonio Gracia says, well, got to feel proud to be an American for a night at least. But hey, at least hockey is back soon, right, guys? <laughs> hey, just one more week, buddy. Michael Barry says, hey, guys, how do you feel that the Wings got a draft pick for the only cap dump this season? Also, how do you see Barzell going down? I think he takes one year at $4 million, a.k.a. the remaining cap space. Generally, when I, I very rarely go against what Friedman's saying. He's always in the ballpark, and he's predicting a 3 by 6 right now. So I'm going to go with the 3 by 6 Um, Chris B says, hey, guys, great work covering the World Juniors as always. Who would you rather have? So in a rapid fire. Cousins or Stutzla? Stutzla. Stutzla. That's not even close. Pod Colson or Boldy? Pod Colson. Colson. Yeah. Heinola or Soderstrom? Ooh, that one's tough. That's a really good question. Uh, like, I'm trying to take the recency bias out of it because Soderstrom was bad in this tournament, but he's been better. But Heinola's also played above his draft slot. So, yeah, I'm going to go Heinola. Or Hanela. Hanela, yeah. This is the good one. Zegris or Raymond? Raymond. Raymond's a year younger still, buddy. I am I am not off that train. Good for you. Good for you. I don't think I could... I, I don't... Any- like, and that's not even like a bias or a debate in my mind. It's it's still clearly Raymond. Really? Because the, the Zegris playing center makes a difference for me. Center helps, but I I try to take that out of the equation when we're talking about drafting and talent. It's a tiebreaker for me, but I still see Raymond as the better player. So if they were equal skill in my mind, yeah, I'm going Zegris. But even though he's a winger, Raymond's still a more complete player to me. And I think his ultimate upside could still be higher. 
Although I think if we're looking just the offensive zone in, yeah, it's a wash, but I think overall it's much closer. I don't think it's quite clearly Raymond. I'll probably still go Raymond because he's younger and because he has more of a complete game, but I... <laughs> we're splitting hairs here. We also have to keep in mind, we're comparing what Raymond is now to what Zegris is now. And what Raymond is now is a full year younger. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Evan, you're not off the hook for answering this one. I'll take Raymond. And also if you, if you're an analytics nerd and you believe in them, Raymond actually had a better tournament. Raymond, man. Anyways, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags of Fournier Company says, man, what a week. Am I right, fellas? Yeah. Joseph, as always. <laughs> yep. All right, guys. Um, fun little overtime there. I know we made it a little bit longer. But next episode, we are going to be back with our Red Wing season preview. For now, we'd like to thank our name level sponsors of the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, Arjun Shanker, Brett Bailey, uh, new name level sponsor. Thank you, Kyle. R.A., Hi Brad, Zach Spring, Citizen High Five, Cody Stark, Greech, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer. Um, I forgot the name of this one. Michael Vicks, Edibles and Dogfighting Incorporated. Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kaylin Wood, Hassam Al-Kassem, Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee, uh, Eves Bartell on the behalf of the Sarah Grand uh, Foundation, Sam Bankston, Josh Yelton, uh, Trevor Pevavar, Evans, Evans Bingo Card, Ashley Van Conant, Beer Guy, Connor Leighton, Danny Jr., Matt Keeler, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Afornia Company, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Joseph Minima, Quaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you guys. Sunday, Red Wing Season Preview. We're almost there. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.